I don't know why this thought came into my head, but I don't know how many of you are kind of new to being around church, like, but I, I understand that whenever you come be a part of a local church, <clears throat> every church is a little different, does things differently. And I remember as a kid one time, I went to my grandparents' church and I was trying to figure out church, right? So on the way there, my grandpa gives us all a quarter to put in the offering. This is where this is coming from. I saw the offering plates going around. He's like, hey, here, why don't you just put this in the offering? Well, I'm sitting there with my grandma and grandpa and I saw a guy to my right that when the offering plate came past him, he set the offering plate on his lap, he put in some money and then took out money. <laughs> so again, you're processing. I'm like, cool, dang, I got a quarter. I put my quarter in and I took a 20. <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. My grandma, you know, slaps my hand and I'm like, what? You know, I'm looking at her and I didn't realize the dude was making change. I never knew you could make change out of the offering plate, but... <laughs> So anyways, if you're here today, I, I, man, we are glad you're here. And, you know, you're always trying to figure out everybody's family. Um, we all got different distinctives as our family. And this is, this is our family. And we love our family here at Cornerstone. But I also know that we got crazy aunts and uncles around here. And we, there's even me, the craziest of all of them. And so, but we are glad that you're here this morning. We're, we're most excited. Like our heart is, I'm, I, we want you to encounter us but our heart is always that you would encounter Jesus Christ. We desperately want you to know who he is, how to know him, love him, and follow him. So we're glad, we're glad that you're here this morning. But if you got your Bibles, we're going to be today. And it, I know last time I told you it was going to be our last Sunday in, in 1 Thessalonians, or two weeks ago. And I, I really do think this is going to be our last Sunday in, in 1 Thessalonians. We'll see what the Spirit of God does this morning. Um, but... Uh, what we were kind of trying to talk about uh, two Sundays ago, just to remind you, is we were talking through 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. We talked about it in the context of when the church gathers together. And that's hard for us sometimes in our kind of Western mindset because we tend to think of everything individualistically. But if you go back to that particular time, they were much more corporate in how they thought through things. And in many ways, the description of what's going on here in 516 all the way to verse 22, which we'll, we'll go to the end of verse 22 today, but he's describing in a lot of ways what a common worship service would have looked like. But the key is, especially like when you look at 516, he says, I want you to rejoice always. I want you to, to pray without ceasing. I want you to give thanks in all circumstances. He says, I want you to do those things because oftentimes we need to first make Christ our treasure. Our heart's not always there. Like this morning, I mean, just to confess to you, I got out of bed and I did not want to get out of bed. I thought, you know, somebody else can preach this morning. <laughs> I worked past that. I got past the sheep monster, but then my wife stayed in bed. I didn't like her. <laughs> she looked a little too happy laying there in bed. But there's always something so powerful when we come in amongst God's people and we collectively treasure Jesus together. That through that rejoicing, through that praying, through those moments in which we give thanks, man, our hearts are drawn to Jesus. And it's kind of out of Matthew 6. Jesus said that where your, where your treasure is, where you place your treasure, your heart will eventually be also. Now, what I want to do is I want to kind of grab a little bit of an illustration. Now, the Burkharts are here this morning. I, if I break this, I'm going to feel so bad. This is theirs, okay? This is the, the good ship Burkhart right here. <clears throat> but in many ways... The passage that we kind of looked at had a lot to do with like what was going on inside of Ephesians 5. 
In Ephesians 5, he says to be filled with the Spirit. And then the outcome here is so the, the how that we become filled with the Spirit is he says in there that we address one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks, right? We see kind of these things being repeated. That word to be filled was used of like how wind feel, fills a sail. So in other words, the way that I put it, and this is why I'm using it, like if I was a kid, I would think this is so cool. Be prepared to be amazed. I want to hold on to your chair a little bit. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> but one of the things that happens is as we rejoice, as we pray, as we give thanks, watch, watch, everybody watch. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to be T.O. next week if you want to watch me perform it there. But no, what happens is, is that in a lot of ways, our sails come down and oftentimes the spirit of God is referred to like a wind. In other words, it's the way we begin to now be filled or to catch the wind, the blowing of the spirit of God to begin to empower us to be the people that we're called to be. Now that's one side of it. And I'm going to talk about, I'm sitting here talking about sailing. I grew up in Wyoming, right? I didn't even know what a sailboat was except for those crazy people in California or whatever. But there's just this side of it though that not only do we need to drop them, but today we're going to talk about prophecy, that we're not supposed to quench the spirit. We're, we're not supposed to despise prophecies, but we're to test everything. We're to hold fast to what's good. You'll kind of see this in verse 22. We're to abstain, then it talks about, from every form of evil, which is just, we're going to talk about it, every form of evil prophecy. But there's one thing to put the sails down. But then when God puts these down as God's people and fills the sails, we also got to trim them out, okay? Does, I don't know what trim really means, but it sounded really like a really cool word, like a sailing word. But the idea is, is I can catch most of the wind. So not only do the sails need to drop, but we need to be able to rightly catch the wind. And this is what we're going to talk about with prophecy. Now, the difficulty of talking about prophecy is that it's a very controversial topic, probably depending on the background or the environment you grew up in, is going to dictate kind of how you view it. So on one end, like I, I kind of came through a seminary, it was this way, the churches that I came out of were called cessationist churches. They, they believe that in some ways the gifts have ceased, certain gifts have ceased, and so therefore something like prophecy, many of them believe that either prophecy has ceased, it's no longer for today, or the way in which it now comes out is going to come out through like the preaching. We're going to preach God's word, the completed prophecy of God, and from that now is the way in which we prophesy over people, and we're going to talk more about what prophecy means, but that's kind of one way of looking at it. Or others of you grew up in what's called a continuationist church. In other words, the gifts continue today. Those, those gifts, the expressions of the spirit that we saw in the New Testament is that not only for they, were they for that time, but for their, this time particularly now. And so prophecy is going to mean something else to you. Now, for us at Cornerstone, just so you know, we understand that, and we don't view this as like an absolutely essential issue. It's not at the top rung. It's not a primary issue, but it is something that kind of dictates who we are as a local church and how we look at things. Now, I'll kind of talk about that at the very end, but I just kind of wanted to lay it out for you a little bit to understand it. Now, the other thing about prophecy is, is that in order to kind of understand it, you've got to go back into the Old Testament, into the Hebrew Scriptures, because from that, we start to see that the first prophet, this guy named Moses, who comes along, who is the preeminent prophet, as he comes along, he becomes, in a lot of ways, the megaphone for God. God gives him what to speak, and speak, but then speaks over the Israelites. He gives the word that God has given him to be able to, to, to proclaim. 
Now, some of the difficulty of us around prophecy is we generally think of it only from the standpoint of the way it tells future events. So we think if somebody is going to be prophetic or prophesied, that it's going to be all about the future. But if you've ever read the Pentateuch, the, those first five books of the Bible about Moses and the Israelites and the going into the promised land, very little of what God told him had to be about, was about the future. It was mainly about how God's people were to be able to know, to be corrected, to be protected, to be directed, to be reminded, to be comforted how they were to be the people of God at that time. And I think that's actually a better way of looking at it. It's not so much about it. There's definitely future events. Like when we read the, book, the prophecy of Daniel, it's that he talks about in a prophecy future events. He talks about the Medo-Persian Empire. He talks about the Greek Empire. He talks about the Roman Empire. So there's no doubt there's not future components to it. But the real thing about it was is that God has a message for his people because he wants them to be guided and protected. He wants them to be directed and comforted. God, and this is the way I would say to it, God is seeking to always speak to his people. Now, one of them, I think, the most clear definitions from the Old Testament is actually found in Deuteronomy 18. In it, it's God speaking. He says, look, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you, speaking of Moses. And he says that from among their brothers, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them, and look at this, all that I command him. That's a phenomenal definition. I'm going to give you my words, and I want you to speak on my behalf to the people. He says, whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. And here's kind of the reality. I myself will require it of him. In other words, I want my people to listen. So this concept of prophecy and how this comes out is a very serious reality from God's word. He, he wants us to know that there is, there's words that God's seeking to speak. He wants us to be the people God intends us to be, which is the whole point of kind of 1 Thessalonians 5, God bringing us to the point where we're his people. But now prophecy, what it is then, and let me just give you a little definition so you can kind of have it here, but that prophecy is just the words of God delivered through his chosen messengers to specific groups of people in their time and place who needed to hear correction, protection, direction, reminded, or comfort. That's really what he's after. He wants to speak to his people. Now, if you've ever also read the Old Testament, you know there's not only authentic prophets, but there's also false prophets. In fact, you'll see this all throughout the Old Testament. In the book of Jeremiah, I think we find kind of one of the clearest description of, of false prophets when you get to, to chapter 14 and verse 14. But in this, he's describing, he says, the Lord said to me, the prophets are prophesying, here's the key, lies in my name. I didn't send them. I didn't command them to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and deceit of their own minds. So what we start to see is, is we have to be careful who we listen to. Are they speaking from God or are they speaking from someone else? Because I'll tell you what, when I used to have little kids, I used to watch certain stations and I would see these people come up on TV proclaiming to speak from God. And as I'm sitting there, you know, giving the kid a Bible, I'm like, oh, that dude ain't speaking for Jesus. There ain't no way. There's a way in which God wants us to hear the authentic message but he also knows that there really is the true Satan. There really are demons. There really are people out there that are going to potentially draw us the wrong way. And so God wants us to know, not everyone that speaks for me is speaking for me, actually. 
I would say this, you also know it from like later on in Jeremiah 23, they speak from their own minds it talks about. Even in 1 Kings 22, they speak on behalf of demons. But I love how God puts it in Jeremiah 23 when he, when he says this to him. He says, look, if those people come to you, I didn't send the prophets, yet they ran kind of with their own messages. I didn't speak to them, yet what they did is, is they just kept prophesying. So that's one aspect of it, is these people that get messages from God that aren't from God. And I'll just say this, we need to do a good job when we're hearing people speak. And I would even say, you need to do a good job listening to what I speak, because just because I say it, and I'm this amazing, holy man of God. <laughs> I gotta be careful, my wife's here, my children are here, and I look around, I've got several neighbors here, so they know I'm lying when I say that. <laughs> but listen to me, don't believe everything that you hear. In fact, there's a group of people that Paul was speaking to, the Apostle Paul in, in, in Acts 17, and he, he says this about him, that the Bereans were noble-minded because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul, okay, an apostle, was actually saying that is true. That's why it's not just me that needs to know God's word. You as God's people need to know God's word because there are false messages out there. In fact, one of the ones that I, that I was looking through things in Isaiah 30, and this is from the New Living Translation, Isaiah's talking, and this is what the people were saying. They said, don't tell us what is right. He says in there, tell us nice things. Tell us lies. In other words, don't tell us the truth. We want people that just tell us what we want to hear. But you know this, God loves us enough not only to tell us what we need to hear, but what we need to hear even in moments when we don't want to hear it. Now there's a way then that the Bible talks about that we are supposed to discern between these two. Like in one case we have, like in 1 Kings 22, King Jehoshaphat, he, he's kind of sitting there trying to find counsel because Ahab has got these different people that they're called prophets telling him that everything's gonna be great, just go ahead. In a lot of ways, they're Ahab's yes men, just, just go wherever we want. But in the back of Jehoshaphat's mind, he's like, oh, I just feel like these guys are, are just the yes, the yes men. And so he calls for a guy named Micaiah. And Micaiah comes, and here's the first words that Ahab says. I don't have it up there, but I have it for you. Is that Ahab now starts to complain after Jehoshaphat says, I'll, I'll bring Micaiah. He says, oh, I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. I don't like the guy. <laughs> but Micaiah came in amongst them. He said, no, actually, you're not going to win. You're going to be scattered, he said, like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. There was nothing that those prophets could do, but the true prophet told the truth. See, that's what God is concerned about, that his people always get the truth. Now, it wasn't just within the Old Testament scriptures, but also we find that by the time that we get to the New Testament, you're gonna see this idea of prophecy and prophets that are gonna come onto the scene. And so you're gonna find them all over the place. But I think in a lot of ways, it revolves itself or it comes out of Deuteronomy 18 that this promise that God gave to Moses, the first, the preeminent prophet, that after him was gonna come another one who was gonna be in this same line, except all throughout time, there was this expectation that there was gonna be a greater prophet than he even Moses. They weren't sure if this prophet was going to come before the Messiah or if it was going to actually be the Messiah. And you'll even see this when a group of people come up to John and they're like, look, are you like Elijah? Are you like Moses? And he says, oh, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one. And they say, well, but, but then who is the prophet? He said, well, it's not me, 
But they knew there was a prophet coming and eventually John the Baptist points at Jesus and says, there's the preeminent prophet. That's the guy that you're looking for. He's the one that I don't even, not even worthy to tie his sandals, that that one came along, but not only that, but there was a promise that when the Messiah came, you'll see this like in Joel, is that God's people from there out, he talks about sons and daughters are gonna be these ones that are going to prophesy in his name. It's gonna be a continuing reality within the church. So the main job of these New Testament prophets was exactly the same as it was within the Old Testament. God's people always do need to be corrected. They need to be protected. They need to be directed. They need to be reminded. They need to be comforted in their particular time, in their particular place, in a specific people. Here's the greatest news in the world. God speaks to us. Now, some of you are sitting there going, yeah, but how does he speak to us? And I'm going to tell you that, but not right now. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the things that we encounter is that there is a God who is, and this is kind of where you see it in a lot of ways in 1 Corinthians 14, 3, these prophets that come along, they're going to do it, though, for something powerful. They want to build up the church. See, God's messages isn't only from him as a voice, but the idea is it's going to have an outcome. Like you see back in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, it's going to cause people to be built up, to be strengthened. When God gives that message to people, it's going to have encouragement and consolation. In fact, these prophets that are talked about in the New Testament are so important that God said, or Paul says in Ephesians 2.20 that, that they're the foundation of the church along with the apostles. But when you read the book of Acts, there are these prophets that come along, and by the way, it includes women. You'll see this like in Acts 29 with the daughters of Philip, that there were these ones that would prophesy on behalf of them, but they were also like they were true prophets, authentic prophets. Guess what? There was also false prophets. So the question then that we have is, is dilemma. On the one hand, we need to hear what God says. That's what he was talking about in Deuteronomy 18. I'm gonna give you a message to deliver to the people, and if they don't listen to you, then they're gonna have me to deal with. So in other words, if God still speaks, and he's speaking to us even right now, then we have to know, okay, whoa, I need to hear this message. That's on one end of it. This is, this is one side of it. But on the other side, though, we know, man, though, I want to be careful because I only want to hear those messages that are from God. I don't want to hear from every huckster and charlatan and dude that shows up on TV screaming and yelling at me for whatever reason, just like Todd is doing right now. But there's just this side of it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. He wants us to understand. He wants us to know how to come to him. And that's why he writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22, don't quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. He says, okay, I'm gonna walk you through what to do. Now, when you first read these commands, in a lot of ways, I'll be honest with you, I was studying, I was like, man, these things seem to come out of nowhere. They're kind of like, whoa, Paul, you're kind of talking about rejoicing and praying and giving thanks, and then all of a sudden, prophecy. You're like, dang, Paul, where are you coming from? 
Now, probably what this reveals is, number one, we probably don't know a lot about the Greco-Roman world at that time. But when we start to understand as we read our Bibles, we start to see that in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, when we get into things like Ephesians 4, even when we get into the, the, the later writings of Paul, there's this constant reminder that God is going to speak to us including when we all gather together. And that seems to be the next thing. In these order of services, when the church used to meet, there would be those three things we talked about in 16 through 18. Then in 19 through 22, there came this point at which within the church, they would then talk about these authentic messages from God. That's what you see like in 1 Corinthians 14. But Paul's first concern, as you look down there, look down into to verse 19, his first concern was that they might, and you'll see this word in there, quench. The idea is to like suppress or, or smothers God's voice to them, these, these prophets that are trying to big, bring to them, to build them up, that he doesn't want them now to suppress it. The problem they would hear he's talking about is that these messengers would come in and in some way then they're trying to help them to know how to be directed and corrected and reminded and comforted. But after a while, people are going to go, gosh, but it's so hard. I can't tell the difference between a true one, an authentic a prophet and a false prophet. So therefore, you know what? I'm just not going to even listen at all. I'm just not going to even listen to these things that are going on. But Paul says in there, be careful with that. See, this lack of listening to God about this is that it's not just anything that we're doing when we don't listen. We are quenching the spirit when we don't listen to the voice of God, which, by the way, is a very serious thing. See, whenever we talk about the spirit within the New Testament, he's always seen as a fire in a lot of ways. Sometimes he's considered like a, a dove, but in some ways he is a fire. In fact, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming one day, he looks at him and watches him come and he goes, oh, there's the guy right there. See that guy, that preeminent prophet? I baptize in water, but one day that guy, he's gonna baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. Then in Acts 2, when the Spirit manifests himself upon the people in Jerusalem, he manifests himself as a fire, like a, like a tongue that's around in some way over them, signifying that God's Spirit had landed on them. That when we talk about God in this particular context, there is this true God that is seeking to manifest himself through the Spirit, and the way that he is signified as being amongst you is that there will be a fire. It's the way that was talked about with Ezekiel when, when he, they, he was talking about his need to prophesy that he felt like he was holding back a fire within him. It's this idea that don't quench what I'm trying to talk to you because there's an important reality. You need it. You need to hear what I'm saying. You need to know what's going on. Don't douse the spirit of God because if you do so, you're putting yourself not only in danger, but here's the other thing. You're not going to be a person that maybe in the moment that you need to be comforted, he's there for you. Now, again, in the back of your head, you're probably going, yeah, but Todd, what is this prophecy thing you're talking about? And I'm not going to tell you yet. Because there's a side of this, though, that after a while, if we begin to douse the spirit of God in him seeking to speak to us, look at this here, is that we know that eventually we will begin to, and here's the word, despise prophecies. This word in a lot of ways, prophecy, is the first time he's used that Paul uses it in any of his letters. He's saying there's a danger to what's going on here. 
there's a danger for you not being a person who is one who is listening and, and, and listening for God to speak into what I'm doing. And he says, as a fledgling church, don't despise what I'm trying to say to you. In fact, the way that I think it's kind of put when you look at verse 19, he says, in essence, by not quenching the spirit, that's verse 19, I mean in particular, don't despise prophecies. And the word despise prophecy, what it means is to just slowly bring to nothing. In other words, by not listening to the voice of God, my heart, my ears just become dead. In 1984, I don't know how many of you remember this, but there was a, a plane, an Avianca plane, that started off in Paris and it was supposed to fly all the way to Bogota, Colombia. But in the midst of it, they first had to kind of land in Madrid. As the plane took off and they're flying, they're, they come around, they start to come into the hills that surround Madrid and they start to get ready to land. And out of nowhere, the plane just crashes into the hills and the people were sitting around wondering what in the world is going on. And in many ways, it became kind of this puzzle to all the aviation community. What in the world, how I did this plane crash into the side of these hills? Well, as investigators, what they tried to do is they start to unravel kind of the mystery as to why the plane had crashed. An eerie clue began to be found as they began to listen to the cockpit recorder. Several minutes before the fatal impact against the side of the mountain, there was this shrill computerized voice that started telling the pilots on the plane, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. And within moments, the plane crashes into the side of the hill. Well, they were wondering what in the world happened in that particular moment. Well, one of the things that they found from the black box was not only that that shrill voice was happening, but at some point, one of the pilots shut off what's called the, 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 the ground system, the, the way in which now it warns us, the ground proximity warning system, because in the back of his head, he just thought, that thing is out of, fo it's out of whack. I'm just going to shut it off. And in shutting it off, little did they know that that very warning system that was telling them about the hill they were about ready to crash into, they decided, and here's the word that we're talking about, the same exact word within 1 Thessalonians, they despised that computerized voice. Not only that, but in testimony, it doesn't come out on the voice cockpit co 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 recorder. I don't know speaking in tongues, I'm kidding. But there's... No, <laughs> There's this side of it in which one guy testified, not only did they shut it off, but one of the people in the background, one of the pilots says this, shut up, just shut up. So it wasn't just that they become cold and dull, it is that literally they begin to despise the thing that was telling them to pull up. Now in many ways, this is what prophecy is. It's God's goodness to us. This is what I want you to know. Prophecy from God is a wonderful gift to his church. It's the way in which he reminds us that something is awry, something's going on. I mean, a, a little while ago, we drove from here up to, to Montana, and a lot of times I love to put my kids in the back, and I drive through the night. And So one night I'm driving along, and as I'm driving the car, you know, I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to my music, but if you've ever fallen asleep when you're driving before, it is one of the freakiest things in the world, isn't it? After a while, man, you know, I don't know what I was even listening to, Led Zeppelin or something, right? And, I'm doing this, and I'm trying to stay awake, and my head went down, I fell asleep, and I went over to the side of the road, and what do you suppose I heard? Do -do 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 -do. That's prophecy. 
Prophecy is a phenomenal way in which God says, wake up. I need you to listen to me. I need you to hear me. I think what's even like most interesting for us is that when we talk about it, not just individually, but when we talk about it as the church, it's not just that Todd always needs to wake up, but he's trying to wake up our family. See, whenever prophecy happens, whenever God needs to speak over the top of his family, he's not just asking Todd to wake up, he's asking all of us, wake up. You even see this like in Ephesians 5, before we get to this idea of being filled with the Spirit, he has this statement where he quotes Old Testament scripture where he says, oh, wake up, oh sleeper, wake up to what's going on around you. Be reminded of what God is doing in this world. And so that's what he's talking about. He says, make sure that at the end of the day, Listen to God's voice. Now again, with prophecy, what oftentimes happens is because it gets messy, because there's people that are false prophets, in order to not abuse it, we just disuse it. But the goal is not to disuse it. The goal is to use it rightly. And I love what Paul's gonna do next because he tells us, hey, here's how you use it rightly. Look down in verse 21. Now, the solution you'll see here wasn't merely to accept everything as if God was say, as speaking. I think that's just a bunch of naivety. I think we got to make sure that at the end of it, that it's just as disastrous to not listen to the voice of God as it is to ris- listen to the wrong voice that's not God. Both of them have the capacity for us to fall off different sides of the bridge. That's why when I was trying to lay out this idea of the history of God's people is that all throughout time, God has been wanting to speak, but we have to make sure that not only we listen to him, but we don't listen to the wrong voices. And that's what he's getting after here. Now, for some of you, you might be going, I don't know, do we really have to, verse 21, test everything? Is that really such a big deal? And the answer is yes. In fact, within the church in Thessalonica, we're going to come to it by the time we get to 2 Thessalonians, but in 2.2, we start to learn, actually, they received a wrong prophecy. They accepted it about the day of the Lord. They didn't test it, and their church went off the deep end. And that's why I'm so thankful when we look down inside of this text, when we see this, is that on one end, he's going to ask them, look, you do need to test these things. That is what he's talking about in 2 Thessalonians 2, but he's also going to give us a way to be able to do it. On one end, and I got to go back here again, but on one end, it's this way in which now Paul talks about that either by a spirit or a spoken word, if anything comes to you, here's how you're going to know how to deal with a prophecy. You're going to deal with the prophecy. Where is it at? Verse 15. You're going to hold to the traditions that were taught us by either, look at this, spoken word or by our letter. Now, what he's saying to this group of people is, listen, don't just chuck it out the door, but understand that how we came and taught you is actually the way that we want you to deal with it. In other words, I want you to go back and use the Old Testament scriptures. And I would say within, the, within most churches in the United States, we are terrible in the Old Testament. Let me just give a plug for it. We need to know the Old Testament. That man just prophesied. We need to. Because that was one of the things I was talking about is the things that we taught you, they didn't teach them from the New Testament. The New Testament wasn't even around yet. They grabbed the Old Testament scriptures and showed them how it was that Jesus was to come and how the church was to be formed. In other words, there's that aspect of it. 
They said, look back to the life of Jesus, understand who Jesus was. And again, they didn't have it written down yet, but they had the narrative, the oral history of Jesus. They already knew who it was from their teaching is look to Jesus. But he even talks about these letters. Isn't it powerful that all of the letters in the New Testament were given because the church became a mess? Sometimes we're like, well, I don't want my church to get messy. Let me just tell you something. Because all of us in here are sinners that sit in the beautiful position of God's grace, it's just gonna be messy. In fact, I get nervous when a church isn't a little messy. I'm not talking off the deep end, not that. But I think actually those things happen and by the grace of God, New Testament was written because there were messy churches. But in this, what Paul is making sure that they understand is there is a way when prophecy is abused, not to just disuse it, but actually to now come in and through the Old Testament, the teachings of Jesus and also the teachings of the apostles, you'll know what you need to do. Don't just get rid of it. Test it. Test, he says, everything. But it's not only those three things. You'll also see it like I think in 1 John 4, 1, we're supposed to test the spirits. When we get down even later on, <clears throat> As Paul begins to talk about it in 2 Thessalonians, you'll see this, that it's, it's not just the, the, the words that are said or the things that come out of the prophet's mouth, but we're also supposed to look at their character. Jesus said you will recognize false prophets by their fruit was kind of the key idea. But not only that, the question is, does it build up? Now, let me, let me give you these things when we talk about prophecy. And again, all of us need to know this. When we talk about something like prophecy, there's this key reality. Does it align with the Old Testament writings? Does it align with Jesus' teaching? Does it align with the apostles' teaching? Does the character of the messenger align with the character of Jesus? In other words, if my character doesn't, and again, not perfectly, but align with the truth of who Jesus is, I should not be up in front of you today speaking. That's why some of my neighbors are like, oh, dang, straight. He <laughs> just sit down. <laughs> But I think the other part about it, is it helpful? Does it build up? God wants to speak, but he also wants us to know there's a way to know when he's speaking and when he's not. Now here's the deal. When it is determined, man, this is from God, in verse 21, he says, hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to it. To hold fast to something means, it's this idea of to truly be resolute. It means to be determined. It means to be unwavering. When it's determined that God has called us to do something and we become sure of it, we're to hold to it because it is good. By being good, what it means, it has the character, it has the, the heart of God. He is wanting to speak to us in that moment. And so now we will know what it is that we're supposed to do. Now, we don't always know what to do. Like in Acts 21, there's, there's Paul and he, 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 a guy walks up to him Agabus and he ties his hands and ties his feet and he says, hey, you're going to go to Jerusalem and everybody's looking around going, hey, what are we supposed to do with that prophecy? One group of people says, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Please don't go to Jerusalem. Just like that, by the way. <laughs> and Paul looks at him and goes, no. And he was just, I can imagine Paul running it through the grid. Does this fall in line with the Old Testament prophets? What falls in line with the life of Jesus? What falls in line with the apostles? And he says to them, no. It's determined for me to go to Jerusalem to suffer just like Jesus did, just like apostles did, just like the many prophets who had come before him. He weighed the prophecy and then knew, I need to go to Jerusalem. 
There's another side of it though that he talks about here, but if it's not good, if it's evil, what are we supposed to do? Run away. Run away. Run away. Call it for what it is. See, it's a serious thing. Let me just say this to say that you're speaking on behalf of God. I sometimes hear flippantly thrown around, you know, hey, I just, I think I've got a word of the Lord for you. We flip it around like it's, you know, a Pez container, throwing out little Pez to everybody. Word of the Lord, word of the Lord, word of the Lord, word of the Lord. You want one? Sometimes I don't feel like there's a weight to it, this understanding how serious it is to speak on behalf of God. He's not to be toyed with. Now I think on one end, if we're convinced we're supposed to speak for God, then shame on us if we keep it in. But there's this other side of it though, is to be very cautious as we speak on his behalf. That's why in the Old Testament, if somebody prophesied and they were wronged, you know what they did to them? They killed them. We're not gonna do that, by the way. We're not into the whole killing thing. But that's how serious God wanted us to know that false prophecy is deadly. So where does Cornerstone sit? Well, what you're going to find inside of, our, inside of our staff, on our pastoral staff, is different ones of us sit in different positions. Some of us believe that, all of us do not believe there's any longer the, like the office of a prophet. Like we don't, I'm not going to come in front of you and say, hi, I'm Prophet Todd. Uh, welcome to Cornerstone today. We don't believe that there are prophets anymore, but, but we do believe there is prophecy. Now, on some levels today, I think in some ways, my, I was able to correct, I was able to warn, I was able to guide, I was able to hopefully, well, there hasn't been much comfort yet, but i in bringing this to you, in many ways, I prophesied over you from God's word. But I think there's another side of it that sometimes I don't know if we have over the years just lost this capacity to listen to God and speak for him. I remember I was sitting there one day, I was over at the Regal and a, a guy and I were kind of across the table from each other. It was the evening and he starts talking to me and inside of my head is just, I'm looking at him and just this, this word, affair. I'm kind of like sitting and listening to him more in the back of my head, I just can't get out of it. And finally I stopped him and I said, hey, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this, but I can't get this out of my head. I go, are you having an affair? He goes, what? I go, maybe you're not. I go, I just, are you? He looks back at me, he goes, how did you know? I said, well, I'm super spiritual. No, I didn't say that, I didn't. So I, said, I, I didn't say I said, no, I just couldn't get that out of my mind. In that moment, I believe I was prophetic. Not because, again, I'm anything wonderful in myself, but I think sometimes we don't listen and speak for God in those moments. Again, carefully understanding it's a serious thing to speak on his behalf. But I do still believe that God is speaking. He's not speaking about the once for all truth delivered that we look at in the, in the book of Jude. I'm not talking about adding to scripture. He's not doing that. God's word is complete. And let me just tell you this. Whether you're a cessationist or continuationist, we need to know this book. 
This is God's word. It has truth in it. And not just from me teaching it to you because I could lie to you today. I won't do it intentionally. And please don't kill me if I do. But I'm just, there's just this side of it. Do you realize if you don't know this book, I could lie to you. I'm not, now again, you understand, I'm not going to intend to. We need to collectively know this book. It becomes the means of us understanding the Old Testament and whether or not things that people are saying are true. It's the means of understanding the life and the goodness of Jesus so that we can understand things are true. It's the means of understanding the apostles' teachings so that we can know what is said is true. It is the means by which then we look at the character and understand what a person is supposed to look like that speaks on behalf of God. There's to have these, these certain characteristics of Jesus, not Jesus, because none of us are Jesus, but to have those characteristics of it. And when they speak, does it build people up? Now, here's what's so cool. Back to my little ship, and I haven't broken it yet. I don't know where the Burkharts are today, but are you proud of me? I haven't broke your ship. Yes, okay. I broke one of my last illustrations, and I watched the kid's eyes just go, so that's why I'm nervous. But I think what starts to happen is, is now God speaks into his church, whether through his word, or again, from my perspective, not, not, you don't have to have this view, but through ways in which God impresses upon us how we're to speak to bring about correction and direction and, and comfort within the local church. It's how he trims the sails. He makes us able to be the people that God intends to be, not just individually, but collectively. He speaks to us so that we might know how to, what I talked about last Friday, how we're supposed to run. We're not just running haphazardly or beating the air like Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 9. No, we have a direction. God is wanting to guide us and show us where to go. He's wanting to help us to be the people that God intends him to be. And so cornerstone, we need to listen. We need to listen to God's word. We need to listen as people speak over us. And as they speak over us, we listen to discern if what they're saying is true. And if what they're saying is true, then we need to run in the direction that God has called us to run. Now, if you have any questions about any of this, because some of you might come from different backgrounds and you want to know more, let me just say this. We want to answer questions. You can go to the, 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 page, the page with the staff people on it, My Ugly Mug. Well, I guess, it, I don't think it's the top one anymore, but it, you'll see my face, you'll see some of the elders' faces. If you want to ask any questions about this, we are more than happy to answer you. But I would even say this, let me take it a step further. If you're somebody who sits in here as more of a cessationist, let me just say this, I am stoked you're at our church. I think God has given you a capacity and ability to be one of those people that tests you. You're going to have a predisposition to say, wait a second, is that true? I'm going to listen to it. If you're on this other side and happen to be someone who's a continuationist, I'm so glad you're a part of this church because you're going to press us to listen for the voice of God. See, I feel like sometimes what we do is we create cessationist churches and continuationist churches and we split up. And in the midst of it, we miss what a great thing it is to be a part of a family that we help each other. I am so glad at Cornerstone we have different types of people in regard to this because I think in the midst of the mess, that's how God brings order. And so I am glad that you're here. 
If you're somebody that doesn't know Jesus and you're sitting here, you might be going, holy patoli, what kind of a place am I sitting in right now? You're sitting in a place of group of people that are passionately loved by God through his son, Jesus. You're sitting in a group of people that because of the work of Jesus Christ, we sit as ones who have the Holy Spirit. And because we have the Holy Spirit now, we can hear the voice of God through his word. We can hear his voice and respond to where he's going. And if you're somebody that is not a follower of Jesus, you do not have the Holy Spirit, and you don't know necessarily where God's calling you to go, but I'm sitting here saying to you, if you're sitting out there and you don't know Jesus, the first thing that you need to know is you need to come to Jesus. We come to him by faith. We don't come to him trying to impress him. If you come to God trying to impress him, you understand he's God, right? If you walk up going, God. Now we walk up to him understanding that it's by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of me doing works. But when you come to him and you hear his voice today, he will guide you and he will lead you. And so here's what I want to do to finish this morning. I want everybody to stand up. Isn't it fascinating that the way that the universe began was God spoke? God spoke. The words of God are powerful in that it created an entire universe. Not only that, but in John 1, we find out that the word of God is Jesus Christ. It was in him and through him and for him that he created this whole thing. He was the voice of God and the spirit was hovering over the waters. It talks about in Genesis 1. Cornerstone, if you are a person here in Jesus Christ, God speaks. And in him speaking, he speaks to those that he loves. And so as those of you who are followers of King Jesus this morning, go from here knowing that you have a father that doesn't want to just hear from you. He doesn't want to just hear rejoicing. He doesn't want to just hear praying. He doesn't want to just hear giving thanks. He wants to speak to you. Tomorrow, today, you open this book, God speaks. But listen. Listen, listen, listen. So in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, God bless you this week. The beloved of God, have a phenomenal week.